Welcome to another episode of VLGA Connect, where we cover issues around the local government sector and beyond. And we're going a little beyond in this episode with our special guest, the CEO of Infrastructure Victoria, Michelle Maison. Michelle, welcome to the program. You're much welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. And it's a pleasure to have you as well. How do you, uh, how do you feel about how your organisation has been able to adapt to the COVID-19 environment? Well, um, our infrastructure Victoria has actually adjusted very well. Uh, we had um, work flexibility in our DNA. And before COVID, 70% of my um, colleagues had some sort of, you know, work flexibility. So really transitioning, you know, to home, which we did one week uh, earlier than what the Victorian government uh, recommended to do, was actually, you know, fairly easy. So um, a couple of things I wanted to touch on with you, and we've, we've had a question or two from some of our member councils as well. Really wanted to explore with you your thinking around how the role of infrastructure Victoria uh, might be coming to the fore during this particular time, but also might be adapting as we move beyond COVID-19. Have you spent some time thinking about how things might change as it pertains to your role? Absolutely. And, um, and I feel actually... I'm pretty buoyant about the next, you know, six to 18 months um, because a mentor of mine told me timing is not everything. Timing is the only thing. And what I mean by that is that um, since Infrastructure Victoria was created, and remember that we're only four and a half years old, we mm. were very, very clear that the paradigm we were going to use when it comes to infrastructure was to look at first and foremost, how do we manage demand? How do we make the most of the existing assets that we got and what before looking at a new build? So whilst my colleagues are feverishly and very efficiently looking at how do we sustain the construction industry? How do we fast forward some projects in order to leverage on the new build for uh, that stimulus on the infrastructure and to ensure that we uh, maximize our chances to see a quick and prompt and efficient recovery, Infrastructure Victoria is uniquely placed to look at how do we make the most of what we currently have. And more importantly, how do we analyze and identify those behavioral emerging trends and we only have to look at, you know, what we are doing differently now to see that there are some profound behavioral changes that really um, create some opportunities in respect of what do we continue to do, you know, differently in the future so that we make the most of the infrastructure that we have and how do we leverage on those behavioral trends so that the demand on the infrastructure that we have is actually uh, more efficient and more rational and think for instance of you know spreading the peak time on public transport so infrastructure mm -hmm. victoria has really ramped up uh, some short-term analysis around what are those reforms that we should you know, reconsider in light of those behavioral changes, which have, the way I put it, um, amended or significantly changed the social license to implement that complex policy reform. Um, mm. There are some ideas that were absolutely untouchable you know, six months ago, but clearly now, you know that all say never waste a crisis, there are some yeah. profound reforms that need to be um, looked at and brought back you know, forward on the agenda 
in order to make sure that we capitalize on those behavioral changes that we all um, looked at. And some people will say, well, um, that's all jolly good, but you know, clearly what makes you think that you know, the time is wrong? Well, the, the extraordinary thing about this crisis is that a crisis breaks all rules. And what, you know, COVID has demonstrated is to make the unthinkable possible. Um, six months ago, uh, no one would have thought that, you know, we could all, um, in the span of a couple of weeks, transfer, you know, working from home. Um, and I do acknowledge that, you know, it is pretty tough, you know, for some. Mm -hmm. But when you look at, you know, a bank, for instance, um, you know, 40,000 of their people have actually moved, you know, working from home. So not everyone will be willing to, you know, work from home in the future, but some will. Not all the companies will be, leave, will be willing to leave, you know, the CBD, but some will. And will start, and are starting now, considering doing in three, four, five buildings in the CBD in light of the realization that in a span of a couple of weeks, we've actually collectively demonstrated that we could adjust very quickly to something completely different and that we demonstrated collectively that we could harness you know that change and transform that mm. into opportunities so that's really where infrastructure victoria is going to concentrate in the next six to 18 months creating new work through requests for advice from the government but also looking at a different approach to the refresh of the 30-year infrastructure strategy, which we are uh, very busy working on with the release of the draft strategy in October of this year and the final strategy middle of next uh, year. So um, uh, some analysis recently that I've quoted a couple of times in interviews now is, you know, there's been something like five or 10 years worth of digital transformation work done in companies in the space of, of 90 days. And, and you've touched on some of the other things that are happened that wouldn't normally happen within that span of time. When you talk about reforms that perhaps need to be uh, reconsidered or looked at in a new light. You mentioned public transport. Is that one, the way the use of tr uh, public transport and the interaction with the transport network occurs? Is that one of them? And what other reforms do you have in mind near the top of the list there? Well, we've been very clear when we released in 2016 our first 30-year uh, infrastructure strategy in the state of Victoria that uh, transport network pricing was one of the top three transformative recommendations. And over the last you know, four years, Chris, I personally have been very vocal to say that that, that is one of the most profound reforms that um, not just Victoria, but you know, also New South Wales need to implement if we are really, really you know, true to our word to do something about congestion and the lack of productivity. Um, mm. I think there's not a better time to actually put you know, this profound reform back on the agenda and back on the debate. And this is why we've released a couple of weeks ago a seminal you know, report on transport network pricing. Because when you think about it, pricing is nothing more than a piece of information that you provide to someone in order to make an informed decision as to how should I you know, um, adjust my behavior in front of this pricing. Um, and when six months ago we came out and said, um, can you, um, do you really need to be on that road at that time? Or is there an alternative way that you could maybe travel? Could you use the public transport? And by the way, Chris, two important figures that we should remember. 
prior to the COVID, one in three Australians or Victorians told us that they could actually make the trip at peak time at a different time. And one in four told us that they could actually drop the car and use already today an alternative mode of transport. Well, fast forward the behavioral change that we are witnessing today. We are asking ourselves, is this you know, trip essential? Do I need to be out? Um, is there a different way that I can actually you know, go to my whereabouts? So there is absolutely the right opportunity to make sure that this reform is being considered by the Victorian government that we give ourselves collectively the means to give it a go, give it a try one way or the other, because experience in other jurisdictions show that people were reluctant, they tried it, and then, you know, wanted more of it. So yeah. that we make sure that at a time when we are likely, for some, to prefer to use our car rather than to go on the public transport, um, it is not only unattractive, but it is unnecessary to consider a future that is going to be a copy uh, cat of, you know, what we've experienced on the roads in the past. And it's not just in the roads, it's also on the public transport and how we consider parking. Does it concern you? Some people are saying, and, and I think some of your materials suggested that when we come out of COVID-19, there'll be a nervousness about public transport because of physical distancing type concerns and people might be more inclined to use their cars than they were before COVID-19. Does that invalidate some of your thinking or are you uh, surprised at all by that? Um, it, it definitely does not invalidate some of our thinking and one of the reasons why we are you know, so strong and pushing that transport network pricing reform, which in essence basically means that we would get rid of uh, all of the uh, upfront uh, road charges like your registration and stand duty and the public transport fares and replace that by something that reflects distance charging, but also with a cordon charge you know, for the CBD. Um, so you would be entirely in control of when and where you, know, you are on the road. So the point you're you made is absolutely right. We're likely to see short term more people you know, using their cars because of fear of the public transport. And I would like to you know, take that opportunity to pay respect uh, to my colleagues at the Department of Transport um, and Jerome in particular, who are doing an extraordinary work at the moment to try to see what measures need to be taken so that the public transport can continue to run. And let's you know, be clear that it continue to run a normal services during the whole COVID, because not everyone will be able to you know, hop on the car. Not everyone will be able to afford the parking. So public transport will continue to have a significant you know, role to play. But there is very clearly the need to seize the moment and look at such a profound um, reform as the transport network pricing to really see how we can uh, give it a go and ensure that we collectively give ourselves all of the means um, to avoid you know, coming to a future that really is like you know, we've seen in the past. Um, the signals, Michelle, coming from government are that uh, to recover from COVID-19, we're going to essentially build our way out of it through stimulus projects in, in, in many respects. So we've had these big build projects that are committed. We've had uh, the Building Recovery Task Force uh, which is obviously looking at fast-tracking certain developments. Does that create an opportunity or does that hinder your argument about um, fully exploring the network uh, pricing uh, concept? 
So the new build and the making the most of the existing assets are absolutely not antinomic. They should run you know, in parallel. Um, we strongly support the momentum around maintaining the activity on the new build. And let's be very clear, some of those major projects which are not linked to COVID and stimulus, but are cross-generational, like the Metro Tunnel, like the Westgate Tunnel, like the Northeast Link, like the Airport Rail Link, um, these projects should absolutely continue. And the government is absolutely right to maintain you know, the momentum on those. It's very easy to be very focused on what do we need to do in the next 18 months to get out of that crisis, but we should not lose sight. And Infrastructure Victoria, again, is uniquely placed in you know, maintaining that focus for the long term that we need to continue the momentum today for what will be necessary in 10, 20, and 30 years time. And even though we're likely to see a natural and logical drop in the population growth through reduction of you know, tourism, education, mm. and, uh, and immigration, um, it is very clear that if you look at you know, in five or 10 years time, um, this will be you know, a thing of the past. So I absolutely um, applaud the focus and the consistency on how do we maintain that economic activity and in parallel, but not in the same time frame, we should really look at how do we do things differently? How do we capitalize on those behavioral emerging trends? And what are those profound reforms in a fiscally constrained environment, which are absolutely right to be you know, considered, debated, and actioned upon in a courageous way by um, the Victorian government, which is clearly in a state of mind of let's not waste the crisis and let's leverage on you know, the momentum to make sure that we do not regret that window um, where we could have actually done you know, much more. We could explore that much more, but uh, time is t time is an issue. So we might have to book you for a for a return visit, Michelle, if you don't mind. I've got a couple of questions, or, or a, 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 a multi part question that's come from one of our member councils in the regions, and it's around infrastructures uh, infrastructure Victoria's role in advocating for uh, funding as part of the economic stimulus that we've been talking about um, with a regional focus. So things like affordable housing, better digital connectivity outside of the metropolitan areas and uh, perhaps community hubs for disadvantaged rural communities. Are those aims that are part of your platform that you're advocating for when you meet with, um, with decision makers around government? So I can definitely reassure your members that those, you know, three elements that you've mentioned are absolutely at the core of uh, our consideration. Um, more um, social housing was one of the top three transformative recommendations that we had in 2016. And there is absolutely no doubt that social housing absolutely qualifies as one of the candidates in the context of uh, the stimulus that, you know, we've discussed um, and more you know construction activity so we will continue to push you know very strongly on that the digital connectivity in the regions um, again has been a very strong theme in 2016 and continues to be a theme in the work that IV has done and I'd like to take that opportunity to thank you know your members for the submissions that uh, they shared with us um, and the uh, the roundtables that we organized in the context of the, the focus on the regions that we have in the refresh of the third year strategy, looking at 
what are the comparative advantages, the strength of the regions that need to be harnessed and invested upon more in terms of infrastructure, but also what are the disadvantages that they're facing and which we want to call out in the context of the refresh of the strategy. Again, the release of the draft, you know, being later on this year. So mm. your members can absolutely rest assured that the digital connectivity is fundamental. And if anything, the last, you know, six weeks have demonstrated the importance of this for the regions when it comes to telehealth, education, um, distance um, working. Um, it has never been, you know, so important to consider um, internet connection and digital connection as a, as a fundamental utility, just like water and electricity. Yeah. And the community hubs in disadvantaged areas are absolutely at the core of um, our push for making the most of our you know, existing assets and how can we actually combine uh, facilities into one site uh, to make sure that the quality of the services um, and the infrastructure uh, that is required for that is actually optimized. So yes, on those three points, we are definitely going you know, to continue uh, to work on it and push for it. Did I in fact read, you'll correct me if I'm wrong here, that um, you and Infrastructure New South Wales have placed digital connectivity for, regional, for the regions as a much higher priority than perhaps high-speed rail? Did I read that correctly? Absolutely, absolutely. We will have more to say when it comes to you know, high-speed rail, but in essence, we believe that we should look at faster rail services you know, for more predictability. And that in essence, what people want is, you know, more services and faster services when they actually need it. When it comes to the uh, idea of a high-speed rail, think the TGV, you know, the French TGV, uh, especially between Melbourne and Sydney, we've been very clear that the, the first step was to identify the corridor and preserve the corridors to enable the future generations to have the ability to, you know, work on this. Um, the more we wait on these very important corridor reservations, the harder you know, it will be. Yeah. Um, but in the current context, given the size of the investment that is needed, we feel that there are actually many more um, infrastructure-related matters, digital connectivity being you know, one in the regions that should be prioritised. Mm, okay, that's that's very clear. Um, perhaps one last question before I let you go, and it, it is primarily a local government audience for VLGA Connect. What is the engagement looking like for you with local government at the moment? Do you have any message for how local government can be perhaps um, a, a more active part of, of how you uh, develop your program? So local governments have always been an absolute core stakeholders in the work that we are doing because we're very mindful that when we consider infrastructure, there is a lot that actually you know, falls under the accountability of local governments and sometimes in pretty you know, difficult um, environments. Um, so we've always had a very strong engagement with local governments. And uh, I'd like to thank your members for the, you know, the two recent engagements that we had on the preparation of the waste and resource recovery advice, which we delivered to the government and which will go public very, very soon. Um, it was certainly very um, helpful to get the insights from local government, um, but also the work that I mentioned on comparative advantages and disadvantages in the regions because we want to be in a position when we release the draft strategy to be very clear on what are the infrastructure priorities and recommendations 
that we have selected and identified for the region. So if you live in Gippsland, you will be able to take our strategy and know exactly you know, what's in there for you. So very happy with the level of engagement that we've had. And the key message to your members is that I look forward to a continuation of that constructive dialogue. We will have other opportunities you know, in the next six to 12 months to uh, come back and share you know, our work and always invite um, that authentic and, uh, and true engagement that I hope your members recognize as a trademark of Infrastructure Victoria. Fabulous. Michelle, it's been great to talk with you. We'll leave it there, but I'm, I, I think we probably should book another time to chat about a, a, a few more issues. Um, all the very best to you uh, as you navigate, as everyone else is, uh, the COVID-19 world, and thanks for your time today. You're much welcome. It was a pleasure, Chris. We've been speaking with Michelle Maison, the CEO of Infrastructure Victoria, on this edition of VLGA Connect. If you'd like to be a part of future episodes or give us some suggestions about stories for VLGA Connect, we'd love to hear what's going on in your neck of the woods. Please send us an email at any time to vlga at vlga.org.au. And we'll see you soon on more VLGA Connect. <laughs>